Um, happy Tuesday. I think it's Tuesday, right? It is. It is, in fact, Tuesday. Cheers to that. Um, Bill Murray, uh, please introduce yourself uh, to my audience. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Vilmary Fraguada Narlock. Uh, she, her, ella. I am a clinical psychologist, uh, co-founder and director of Sana Healing Collective in Chicago. And I am the president of Entheo Illinois or Entheo IO. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, for folks that are listening, I'm Cole Preston. And uh, Philip, why don't you say hi to the audience? Hi, I'm Philip. So, uh, and for folks that are listening and would like to watch, you can go to chillinois.net slash video and watch on your preferred platform. Once again, thank you so much for setting aside time in your evening to join us. I'm really excited to talk about the Cure Act. I'm going to let you set the stage. Uh, tell the audience about the Cure Act. We've done a few episodes at this point, but in case they've missed it, I want to give you the opportunity to set the stage on this. So. Sure. So uh, the Cure Act is a very exciting a new piece of legislation that is uh, sponsored by Rep. LaShawn Ford. Um, so he actually sort of brought this to well, initially Jean Lacey of the Illinois Psychedelic Society, um, and she brought me in. And along with some friends, we co-wrote the bill. Uh, it started out as sort of a, a copy <laughs> to, to make it simple of measure 109 in Oregon, which some folks might be familiar with. Um, and then we went to it and made some edits, made some amendments, made a bunch of changes, Illinoisified it. Um, and so similarly to Oregon and some other states and areas that are doing similar legislation, um, it uh, starts off with uh, setting up the advisory uh, council or advisory board for the regulation of psilocybin services. And so the board is comprised of a whole slew of people, which we can get into the details of, um, that will provide recommendations based on research, based on um, their own experience, based on their own expertise to the Illinois Department of Public Health on things like what training should be required, what licensing should look like, um, and requirements of that, uh, stuff like that. And another sort of compo major component of the bill is that it also removes uh, psilocybin and psilocin from the uh, Illinois Controlled Substances Act. Um, so it would no longer be a scheduled, scheduled substance um, in the state of Illinois. Um, and another component uh, related to that is that it also allows for um, expungements of past criminal uh, records related to uh, psilocybin. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All good things. And yeah, I'd say that's the three, from what I understood, yeah, the three main components, the supported adult use, like the regulated structure, descheduling and expungements. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So cool. Thanks for breaking that down for us. Uh, it's really exciting to be in a place in history where we're even having this conversation. Right. right. Yeah. It's I kind of pinch myself or I have to every now and then like what is happening? This is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so 
like I mentioned, we've we've uh, covered the episode two times, so I want to encourage folks or this topic two times uh, in the past. So for folks that are looking for maybe a little bit of a deeper dive into some of the nuances, definitely check those out. But I wanted to jump right into one of the things that you you started with, and then we can go through the list of questions that I had kind of primed you on that I felt sure. I didn't get answered in my last question in my last yeah. um, two conversations. So the first thing that you had brought up is the the legal option that is created, and we'll we'll talk about that and like what licensing looks like. But first, I wanted to talk about the advisory board, uh, mm -hmm. since you had brought that up. Um, yeah. yeah, tell us a little bit more about what that would look like. Um, one of the things I will say I learned recently that maybe Philip doesn't know is that the advisory board would apparently be appointed by the governor's office. So, mm -hmm. yes, that is correct. So. Um... So it would be appointed by the governor's office and would consist of um, a director of public health uh, or the director's designee. So that like right uh, off the bat, like it's a public health sort of centered approach. Um, and also the, the uh, someone from the state board of health policy. Um, and then the governor specifically appoints um, either like four of the following. So there's four, like there's kind of different categories. So a state employee with technical expertise in public health, a local health officer, um, an individual who's a member or represents a federally recognized Indian tribe in the state, um, someone who is a member of or represents an advisory body regarding addiction and mental health within the Department of Human Services. So essentially someone from um, super, the uh, Substance Use Prevention and Recovery Department. Um, and then let's see, what else? Yes, someone who is a member of or represents a health equity policy within the Department of Human Services, um, someone representing palliative care and quality of life within DHS, um, and then someone uh, who represents individuals who provide public health uh, services directly to the public, so more of the direct service folks within public health. And then we get into some of the other sort of like layers of this. So that includes a psychologist licensed to practice Illinois with expertise engaging in the diagnosis and treatment of mental health conditions, a psychiatrist, uh, a therapist. So that also allows us to include uh, like non-doctoral level <laughs> only um, psychologists. So we're kind of getting a range. Um, and um, another MD, naturopath, a naturopathic physician, um, and another expert in public health. Um, and then also we get into some of the more community uh, focused levels of the board, which includes um, someone in the, uh, the VA, so a, a veteran um, affairs service connected disabled veteran, so someone who is receiving services at the VA. Um, someone who has professional experience conducting research regarding psychedelics and, and therapy, um, someone who has experience in the field of mycology, someone who has experience in the field of ethnobotany, um, pharmacology, someone who has experience in psilocybin harm reduction, um, and then like someone representing the Liquor Control Commission, um, <laughs> that kind of thing. So. Um, yeah, so that's like the kinds of people that would be on this um, advisory board. Gotcha. Sounds like a large group. 
yeah, a large group, uh, hopefully would be a varied group. For those folks, like the wonks following along, that's section 25 um, in the full text of the legislation that Thank kind you. of outlines that. Thank you. I was going to ask where people could like, yeah, read that in text. So folks that are listening or watching, if you look in the podcast description or the, the, the description for this episode that you're listening to, we'll have a link that you can click on. And when you go to that link, it'll have any links that we reference during the show, including the link uh, to the full text of the legislation. So thank you for citing the section. You said section 25? 25, yep. Sweet. Um. So yeah, it sounds like it's stacked with health professionals, uh, science scientists of all types, which is like really awesome. Um, is there anybody that you feel would fit the build of like just a normal person? I mean, I think the closest would be uh the the vet, right? The veteran. Sure. Would be um I think, you know. Technically, everyone <laughs> there is a normal person, but I, I I know what you mean, right? Like looking at like what about the community um, mm -hmm. and all of this, and I think like part of that, my hope anyway, is that like with MDO Illinois, we will be able to engage the community in doing a lot of like education, a lot of harm reduction, and a lot of advocacy for the kinds of people who we want representing us on this board. I think we saw in Colorado how like a lot of the folks that ended up being selected um, weren't necessarily folks that are like active in the psychedelic space. And I think that uh, kind of upset some folks, rightly so. Um, so like our hope is that, you know, the governor will recognize that this is a really um, like grassroots community led effort and that that's really important to us. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say that with cannabis, he doesn't seem to see that <laughs> side know, of uh, things. So you know, a girl can dream. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, what what were the oh licensing? Uh, yeah. uh unless Philip, sorry, hold on, I don't mean to move on. Philip, did you have any questions about like the advisory yeah. board itself? Okay. No. Cool. Um, what, what exactly would licensing look like? I'll just be blunt in saying through the last few conversations, the impression I got was that it's like, and even the report that our friend Gene was on, like it, it features a ketamine clinic, like, and I'm not dissing on ketamine clinics. It'd probably actually be pretty wild to visit one. If you know what I'm saying, but like, um, come, come visit on a healing collective sometime. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that that's, that's yeah. okay. I, I like got the impression that maybe that's okay. Cool. Thank you for clarifying that. So that, yeah, sauna, that would be probably really dope. Um, <laughs> and I don't think that you, that there's not a place for you in the industry. I want to be very clear about saying yeah. that. I think that you probably do great work and it, and I fully intend on taking advantage of your services because it'd be wild. But um, my thing is, is my question is, is there room do you see room for small time how about this small time mid time and big time like i don't know it seems yeah. like there's so many barriers to entry with the cannabis industry so i'm wondering how this looks yeah that was something that was important to us as we were like looking at ways to make adjustments to <clears throat> some of the language that we'd seen in other states is like 
it's just that, like, what are, what is like the tiered <laughs> level of services that, that people can receive? So obviously there's licensing around testing and then there's manufacturing, there's operating a service center. And then there is the individual like psilocybin service facilitator license. Um, and that is like the, the level at which like, I think most people will, will be able to have more access um, in that all that it would require um, in, a, uh, in addition to like going through whatever the training uh, will be is to have a high school diploma or equivalent education. Um, so the department cannot require a facilitator to have a degree from a university, college, post-secondary institution or other institution of higher education. Um, and they, the facilitator doesn't necessarily have to be a, a employee of a service center um, itself. So people can operate independently as a psilocybin service facilitator. Um, and there's like a little bit less barrier to entry as far as like needing a degree and things like that. They'll have to go through, um, you know, probably a, a what I would hope would be a semi-rigorous <laughs> training program to make sure that they're prepared um, to, you know, hold that space for, for someone. Um, but we recognize that having a college degree doesn't necessarily make you better or worse at doing that. Right. Um, sorry, I was just pulling up the full text of the bill. Um, what section, do you know what sections talk about licensing? Yeah, so that's, I believe section 50 is where it starts to break down the licensing. Oh, yeah, it's literally called licensing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, I'll just display it on the screen for folks that are watching. Um, this is how you, this is how at least I search a bill. I don't mean to say this is how you search a bill, folks that are listening. This is how I search a bill. So I do control F on my computer, which on most browsers puts it into find mode. And she, uh, she said 50. So I searched up 50. Um, and that, that brought me to licensing. So I always like to just share the knowledge for folks that are listening, you know? Yeah, that's exactly how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyways, uh, so you said, well, there it is. This is what you just said, right? Manufacture, yeah. operate, facilitate, test. You and, said the like the facilitators could like operate independently, like outside of like a service center. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So they don't necessarily have to have like a service center as part of their license. So they could work with a service center. Um, so maybe it's a contracted kind of thing. Right. Okay, that's with, what I was, um, you know, that kind of thing. Like, don't like dentists need... do that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Like right. it's like you kind of have an office, but then like you come in, you can use the office and. Right, yeah. Like that could be one, you know, one possible like scenario, right? What are the like, requirements for setting up a service center is that like i mean just like dispensaries have like all these things for like cameras and certain ways to have your entrances and exits is that like kind of the same deal yeah there are there's are some of that uh like like that some of that language gets like really in the weeds right. <laughs> in, in the legislation but there is a little bit of that as far as like 
uh, you know, you can't uh, have a service center within like a thousand feet of a school. Like there's that, some of that similar language that's I think we probably pulled directly from, <laughs> from cannabis stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it, you know, there's, uh, they have to be at least 18 years of age. Um, that was another big feature. I don't know if that's been mentioned in other, in your other episodes on this is that we dropped the age down from 21 to 18 for all this stuff. Um, and yeah, so um, <clears throat> it's a, you know, an application process that the department would have to determine. So some of those details aren't quite figured out yet, but there have to be, you know, go through some training and things like that, just like any other component of the licensing. So the manufacturers and the testers would all have to also go through um, certain training and, and certain reviews to make sure that, uh, um, you know, compliance reviews and things like that to make sure that they're operating within um, the regulations and safely and all of that. Got it. It's very interesting. Um, I'm just reading through the licensing section. Just I, I just actually stumbled across a part. Sorry, can't speak. I stumbled across the part where it mentioned that you had to be 18 years of age. So that was interesting to see. Um, yeah, I think the other piece of it too um, has to do with like sort of uh, residence, right? So at least, uh, um, you know, the direct owner of the business um, has to have proof that at least more than 50% of the shares or, you know, things like that or ownership um, is held by one or more people who have been residents of Illinois for um, at least two years. So that's another piece of like what requirements already exist in the language yeah i was just uh looking it says to hold a service center operator license under this section this is so there's a there's like pretty much like a residency requirement to get a license because mm -hmm. i wonder because they i think haven't they kind of like dropped that from the cannabis thing because they yeah. were worried about like dormant commerce clause like lawsuits mm -hmm. i feel like there's yeah. kind of been yeah, I mean, I think, you know, part of our, our keeping it in keeping it in there is to, uh, you know, keep some of the more uh, capital interests at bay, at least for for a time. We'll see, yeah. you know, what actually ends up happening if, if that gets removed. But that's that's the intention anyway. Yeah, sure. Very interesting. Um, one of the other things that I mentioned in in the last episode that I did with um, Julia Ellis um, is that, I mean, I can do a control F on this. There's no mention of social equity in this. <laughs> so it, it's just notable. I'm not saying like good or bad about it. It's just notable, um, you know, because. Yeah. Was... Yeah. I mean, I think. Um, you know, there are certain words <laughs> that end up being flags for certain people sure. uh, in, yeah. in policy. So we're careful to, uh, you know, um, be careful about our, our language. But um, certainly the what I'm what I just mentioned previously about not requiring a degree um, for uh, for facilitator licenses, um, things like that are a, a factor that we considered around equity. Well, and also I, I consider descheduling to be a form of equity. That's a big, <laughs> that's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> like if we had done that with cannabis, we'd be a lot more equitable. So. Right. Exactly. 
Yeah. Right. I love, I just want to say that if I understand, and we'll get into one of my burning questions about the descheduling component, but if I understand correctly, yeah, maybe it's a good time to segue. Philip, do you have any other questions of about licensing and just how that works in general? Really? Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's a good segue to what I think is my favorite part of this bill, which is the descheduling component. Um, yeah, you both are absolutely right. I feel like that's like a huge part <laughs> of the bill that you could say is in the spirit of social equity, right? Um, in the true spirit, I would say. Um, tell us, tell my audience about that. What does that mean? Break that down. Yeah, so um, it removes psilocybin and psilocin from the list of Schedule One controlled substances in the Illinois Controlled Substances Act. So it would no longer be considered a controlled substance. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for this. Obviously, primarily people should not be criminalized for seeking healing, uh, first and foremost. Um, also, the war on drugs doesn't work. <laughs> um, and and yeah, the, the, a big component of, of the equity thinking around this was just like, we just need to remove that. Um, remove that major barrier. And also that um, it allows us to do more research. I think one of the things we hear about a lot is a lot of people who are hesitant is like, oh, where's the research? There's not enough research. Um, I feel like we get this in, in cannabis as well. So I'm sure you hear that a lot. Um, and like part of the reason, or I would say like the reason there isn't more research is because um, it is a controlled substance and doing research on controlled substances requires just a, a ton of, of work and financing and funding and um, regulation in, in the actual uh, research. It's like super complex. Um, you have to have certain specific li licenses and, and controls and things like that. Um, and that gets really expensive um, and really complicated and so, when we remove something from the schedule one, uh, we're, we're sort of saying that like, one, it, it's not, it, it's incorrectly scheduled, first of all, um, because schedule one means that there is no uh, known medical benefit. And we know because of research that, that, that there is in fact possible, at least potential medical benefit. The FDA has even, uh, noted that there's benefit in, in designating psilocybin with breakthrough, you know, therapy status, not once, but twice. Um, so just like being more accurate <laughs> is another factor there as, as long as the, the research is concerned. Is there like, does the Illinois drug schedule have the same like tiered system as the federal one? Yeah, I think so it pretty is, much follows. Yeah. Is there like a danger at all that they would decide to reschedule it? Because I know in some of the like other schedules, pharmaceutical companies are like free to work with these things. Right, right. I guess I could see that maybe if if our only, um, you know, reasoning for removing it from the schedule were for research purposes, then I could see like, right, just reclassifying or rescheduling it to a, a, a less restrictive um, layer so that research could be more accessible. Um, but that's not the only reason we're doing it. Well, but I just wonder too, cause like, you know, 
a lot of things in Springfield are just dictated by who is paying people and contributing to whose campaigns. Oops. And like, you know, LaShawn Ford like advocates for a lot of good things, but he also takes money from Pfizer and the pharmaceutical research and manufacturers of America. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just always like, like to think about it from the angle of like, is there a possibility okay. that those people would like to see this wind up on a schedule two or a schedule three, because then they would pretty much have like, uh, you know, control of that market, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think any, any of that is definitely possible uh, when, when, you know, capital interests are, are involved. Um, I will say like, like we've kept things like pretty neat as far as like, you know, manufacturing and, and um, access to the medicine being like only one place, like there's not retail sales or there won't be retail sales. So also like, right, keeping some of that capital interest at bay. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like that is a, a possibility that if, if enough people um, sort of catch on to, um, that there could be enough of a push to make some amendments in that direction. Um, all the more reason, uh, you know, you, dear listener, are important to, to advocating for, for, you know, preventing for that and keeping, keeping things as they are written. Absolutely. And I think one of the ways, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the ways to do that is to contact your representatives, say what you like about the bill mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and even what you don't like about the bill. And um, I would even encourage also, you know, filing witness slips if that's still open. I'm not sure. It exactly. is It is still open. Um, the hearing is tomorrow at 10 a.m. or Wednesday, March 1st at 10 a.m. I don't know when this is coming out, I realize. Um, but, <laughs> so, so it might not be relevant anymore, but you can definitely still, um, we still have a letter writing, writing campaign. Our friends at Student for Sensible Drug Policy are hosting um, through their action center, if you want to reach out to your um, elected official um, to ask them to support and or co-sponsor um, the bill that is still ongoing. Gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, back to uh, descheduling, I, I really like it because, um, you know, it, one of the things we acknowledged with cannabis legalization is that there was this cycle of people's lives being thrown away for, for no reason, right. Being locked in a cage. And one of the things we failed to address was exactly that with cannabis. So my question about descheduling, you know, with Nathan Gates, I originally, and I originally asked him because he mentioned, you know, with descheduling, you can use, possess, cultivate, right. Um, and you can gift, he even mentioned it. And it's very important that, you know, it's, it is a gift just like you would do with tomatoes. Like here's some tomatoes and also here's some, you know, mushrooms have a little bit of fun. Right. Um, one of the things though, I asked him was like, what happens if you did sell it? Just if I'm just asking. Right. And he didn't have an answer for me. So I'm not going to ask that question specifically, although I would love an answer to that. I was just going to ask simply, what criminal penalties would remain? Mm -hmm. So uh, it would still be federally illegal, right? So any federal level uh, possession, um, of course, would uh, be in play here. But 
You're right. I mean, the, the act itself allows for non-commercial personal use and sharing, um, you know, and so this is where some of that community-based healing, other related services um, might, you know, be at play. Um, and it's also uh, um, important to, to note that like with, uh, with that, um, shoot, I lost my place now. What was that? <clears throat> Please hold. Because no <laughs> no I had a note on that. That was that was good. Um, my joint went out. I feel I feel damn. bad because I don't have a tip. I usually roll with tips, so I feel like Cheech and Chong right now. I'm like hitting it without a tip. I'm like, you know, classic. Anyways, though, you said do you got what you had to say? Um, I'm trying to find it. I had. Um... No problem. Oh, Philip, no, what I got are you it. smoking on tonight? Oh, you got it? Cool. Here, I got it. So, right. So, like, with the sort of, like, already existing community-based models of supported of supported use, I mean, we've got uh, already, like, you know, veteran support groups. It allows sort of outside of the regulated program for folks to be able to provide paid support, um, education, harm reduction services, integration, you know, psychedelic integration services. Um, to people or groups um, who are utilizing these substances. The only thing is you can't advertise, you can't, you can't create a business based on those services, and you can't receive payment of any kind for medicines. So that's sort of the deets there. I do see like um, <clears throat> these days there's like grow shops in Illinois that will sell spores. Mm -hmm. Uh, does that do anything to change those people's access to like do that or? I mean, the spores well, that, are that would just stay the legal. same because those are just legal. Yeah, those are legal, yeah. so it doesn't change anything for that. Only thing it would ch change, I suppose, is like once you start to grow them, it's no longer going to be illegal. Right. <laughs> Very cool. So, I mean, just hypothetically, let's I don't know. Say I sold Philip an ounce. I'm just getting the impression that some that would last penalties me so will remain. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, it would last me like two years. But um, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's just say I hypothetically, and I hate to like use a number, because really my question is, what criminal penalties remain? You know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. is it 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 because with cannabis, put simply, um, just a shameless plug, we did this uh, episode. It's episode 232, and we've got a document. And one of the things we found was that in 1978, that's when all of the criminal penalties for cannabis were established in Illinois, right? So there's like this graduated list of like how much are you possessing um, and then what that penalty equals. Mm -hmm. How much are you selling and what that penalty equals. And right. so I have to assume the same thing exists for psilocybin and my question is like, what happens to that? Is there any lessening of the penalties? What does it look like? So interestingly, we initially started out with decriminalization language that was very much going to look like that. Um, we were advised that that would be a lot of work <laughs> to write it all out, uh, essentially, and that descheduling might just be easier, just boom. Um, so that is 
what we went with is to remove it from the schedule altogether. So it's no longer considered an illegal substance. Um, what the, the gray area becomes, right, if you're trying to sell it um, outside of the regulated system. And I don't, I don't think we have noted in there um, what such penalties would be. So it's not, um, that may be something the advisory board would need to come up with. Um, it's as it's written, as far as I'm aware, there are no penalties. Gotcha. Yeah. I was actually just trying to do a control F of the bill to see if mm -hmm. like, I see something about civil penalties, but it has something to do with violations. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's criminal penalties. That's like, right. So you get the spirit of my question though, right? I I think the descheduling yeah. thing sounds rad. Like it right. sounds much, it sounds much better than what we've done with cannabis. Philip, would yeah. you agree? Like I would agree. <laughs> so, um, you know, now, does this advisory, I, does this advisory panel is part of the work that they can recommend other substances? Yeah. To... Good question. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So part of the part of their role, and as it's written, it's actually written out in the in the legislation that they can consider other um, non synthetic um, entheogens. So things like DMT, um, things like uh, ibogaine, um, mescaline. As long as it's not from peyote, um, all of those things can be. Well, will be part of the, the job of the advisory board to review the research on and determine whether um, they can be included in these services. We started with psilocybin just because it's the easiest to manufacture ultimately um, and can go from there. I think, it, yeah, it's, it makes the most sense because it's the most popular and it's like, you don't need to set up a retail market for it because you really can make it yourself at home. You just need like a couple months. Um, but I just wonder too, like, because I know you guys are focused very much on the plant-based stuff. I have heard like, isn't MDMA currently like in the process of being approved by the FDA for yes. therapeutic use? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Could that, I mean, do you think that could be like a window to then, like if this is a first step you get, would that then legalize that for like therapeutic use automatically or? For MDMA, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I just think if, it's interesting because there are obviously a bunch of other substances that are synthetic that are right. do, that are great and might even be better than mm -hmm. psilocybin or mescaline. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wonder. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the reasons like we kind of limited it to um, the non-synthetic stuff is just because, again, this is where like access comes into play and like cost of producing, uh, accessing the medicine. Um with MDMA, yes, it's up for uh, FDA approval, um, hopefully by 2025. <laughs> they keep kind of pushing that each year. Um, but, uh, and, and, and that may be, that'll be before our, if, if this were to pass this year, um, fingers crossed, um, MDMA might possibly be FDA approved before our psilocybin regulatory system um, is fully set. So that kind of, yeah, cover all of our bases there. Yeah. And I think I, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe I know the answer to this, but since you said 
non-synthetic that means no lsd even though it's two analogs away from natural right yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah so for now it's it's the non-synthetics see what happens but yeah yeah that i only say that to just make the distinction to clarify you know. yeah, yeah yeah to clarify because anyways um so uh Great. Well, any bases you feel we didn't cover on descheduling? Like, I, I still don't feel clear about, like, what I, what would, how about this? Where would I currently, and I'm not expecting you to know this answer because I didn't <laughs> potentially, I did not prime you on this, but would yeah. I look at the Controlled Substances Act to look at the, to, to find the current penalties for psilocybin? Like, yeah, I couldn't even I actually tell a, you that right now. So, yeah, I think that's a good place to, to start to see, like, where we're at and what sorts of um, penalties could exist. Um, yeah. Cause okay. you know, they're not going to create new ones. Um, it would, you know, probably be from what already exists. Yeah. I mean, they could create new penalties, I suppose. I shouldn't say that um, they can do whatever, but um, the likelihood is that they wouldn't like try to reinvent the wheel there. Got it. Um, yeah. Any both of you, both of you, any bases you filled it and we, sorry, we didn't cover on, ex, uh, I about said expungements because that's the next thing I was going to talk about. Uh, descheduling, um, anything we didn't cover on that? I like that part of the bill. I think it's the strongest part of the bill. I, I, I hesitate, like, I don't totally, just because I'd like to see things fleshed out, but that like really gets me supportive of this bill. Let me just say, you know, because it goes so far. Yeah. So. I mean, me too. I've I've said it before that if it weren't for that component of the bill, I don't know if I would be so in support of it. Um, so it's I know that it is hugely popular with our community. Um, it may be less popular with other <laughs> folks who aren't as familiar with uh, this kind of work. Um, so it'll be really important for the community to um, be advocates for this component of the bill for sure do you worry but about they, that at all? oh sorry they can deschedule it and still keep some kind of criminal penalties for selling it right yeah yeah like that mm -hmm. those two aren't yeah okay um i was just gonna say do you do you anticipate any like illinois state police lobbied hard against home grow and everything else and mm -hmm. even licensed people which kind of goes back to philip's question about you yeah. know private interest involved do you anticipate or have you even heard of any opposition or against this bill, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, through the witness slip process for the hearing, we some certain uh, entities have kind of come um, out of the cracks here. Um, definitely a couple of entities representing police and sheriffs. Um, filed as opponents, um, some uh, conservative Christian folks um, also filed, which, you know, that's not surprising. Um, so no no surprises, I would say. Um, the only potential surprise, I, would, I don't know that I would call it a surprise, is the Illinois Psychiatric uh, Society, which represents probably about half of all of the psychiatrists in the state as far as like their membership. Um, but we also have a lot of psychiatrists in our community, they're very much in favor, so they don't necessarily speak for all of those folks. Um, <clears throat> so that's some of the opposition 
we're starting to see. Um, I think it's possible that we'll get folks that are like, okay, yes, on this healing thing, like the regulated system makes sense, but like, why you got to deschedule it? Um, I can see that being maybe an argument. So that's what I'm saying of like, get making sure that the community knows that that's a really, you know, that's important to us. And um, if it's important to you to make sure that you voice that. Well, and I know Cole asked this to, um, I think his name's Nate or Nathan, who he interviewed. Uh, what would your opinion be of the bill? Like if they struck the descheduling portion, I mean, would it still be worthwhile to you or? To me personally, I would, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I think it's pretty simple. Um, I'm a harm reductionist and like uh, the war on drugs does far more harm than it does help. Um, and removing it from the schedule is a big harm reduction component of this bill. It's what allows for community healing. It's what allows for a lot of education. It's what allows for um, more research. Like it's what really gets us <laughs> um, to move forward um, and actually do some healing um, from the harms of the war on drugs. So. Yeah. Yeah. I got to agree. Um, so um, yeah. But I could talk about it all day, why I love it. So um uh let's talk about expungements. How does uh how does that work? Because I feel like that's another, you could say, you know, part that mm -hmm. is in the spirit of social equity. So yeah, yes, um definitely is that. Um so it's basically like 180 days after the effective date of the act. So um, once it becomes effective, 180 days after that, um, the law enforcement agency issuing those particular citations um, will automatically expunge um, those records, those particular records. Um, so of a person found in violation of um, Section 401 of the Illinois Controlled Substance Act, so people that are manufacturing delivery, possession with intent to manufacture or deliver, a controlled substance um, or a controlled substance analog. So if, as long as that's a, a psilocybin or, or psilocin um, substance. <laughs> um, so that's uh, essentially an automatic expungement um, commencing 180 days after the effective date. Um, and then it's like on or before January 1st and July 1st of each year, it's sort of like, you know, clearing those records. Um, so that's for possession and also uh, possession of paraphernalia um, used in relation to psilocybin and psilocin. Um, there's, there's paraphernalia for psilocybin, like what, what is it, growing material or? I, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> An empty your, bag of Uncle Ben's rice. <laughs> <laughs> your your teacup? I don't know. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. So that, that covers that. And then there's also... Um, uh, in addition, for expungement, um, you can petition the circuit court to expunge the records of um, arrests and charges, um, you know, for for those related offenses. Gotcha. So it's pretty straightforward as far as like expungements things are concerned. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, 
Philip, any questions on, on, on that part? No. Sweet. Well, we've basically addressed all of my, what I felt were un unaddressed questions. Um, you know, I, I still feel like the, the criminal penalty thing is still a little bit unclear, but it's like, you know, I just want clarity on it. And I think that, like you say, if we start by looking at the Illinois Controlled Substances Act, because I noticed just reading that bill, it says the, the introduction, it says that it removes psilocybin and psilocin from the list of schedule one substances. I'll share my screen. Um and it amends the controlled the Illinois Controlled Substances Act. So I don't know if that like like this is a specific action, right? But this mm -hmm. is also a specific action. And so I'm just curious, like because like with with um cultivation of cannabis, for example, uh less than five plants went from being something i can't remember what the penalty was to a 250 dollars citation now i just want to say for clarity's sake for people that are listening don't take that as meaning you can go and grow cannabis and you're just going to get a 250 dollars citation because right. there are also possession limits in illinois which that's what i love about the descheduling part of this bill from what i understand there are no possession limits with psilocybin um so for folks that are listening yet yeah, if you want to grow in Illinois, you get a medical card. So the point I'm trying to make is that you saw like some things that had criminal penalties lessen those criminal penalties and then some entirely removed, right? Right. And some and that were entirely yeah. untouched, right? Right, so. right. And that's sort of what, that's exactly kind of what we were trying to avoid with by instead of do, going for decrim, going for descheduling. Uh, just like it's simple. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, I feel like we dove right in and I didn't even ask you like how you got to where you are today. So maybe we can <laughs> close with that. You know, sure. I'm sure it's an interesting. What would you say? You were a pre the president of Entheo, Illinois? Yeah. yeah. If, if I may, though, I do want to highlight one, like, it's like sure. a tiny little tidbit um, yeah. that is important to me. Um, you know, people are always like, what about, think of the children. Um, so I want to make a note of, there's a, a little bit of like a, a Good Samaritan provisions included for people under the age of 18. So um, someone under the age of 18 will not be in violation Um if they're if they contacted emergency medical services to obtain medical assistance for someone who is in need because they consume psilocybin so if a friend or something like this is having a medical emergency or having a, a drug-related uh you know emergency um, and they're under the age of 18 they can call for help without risk of penalty That is really notable. I appreciate you making sure to mention that. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> because part of harm reduction, I feel, you know, just really quick, it's funny. Um, I've had people that oppose the legalization of cannabis on my show, and one of the things they'll say is like, well, you look at ER rates, and they've gone up, and pediatric rates have gone up. And it's like, have they gone up? Or if people just become honest about what's going on? 
because it's no longer criminal and they're Mm -hmm. not lying about it or worse, not taking their fucking kid in pardon my French, (laughs) but you know, like, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. that would happen because people don't want to get in trouble. Right. Instead of seeking out help. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a big part of harm reduction. So thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, of course. Um, so, um, any, any other bases you feel we didn't cover before we, I, I you just would be curious to see, hear how you found yourself as president of Entheo, Illinois. So. Yeah. How did I find myself as president of Entheo, Illinois? Um, other than Jean asked me to, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, I mentioned a little bit about how the bill came to be and, um, I guess I can just say that for, for myself, uh, as I mentioned, I am a, a clinical psychologist. I have also have a certificate in psychedelic therapies and research. Um, at Sana Healing Collective, our, uh, it's a nonprofit mental health uh, provider. And like I said before, we offer ketamine-assisted therapy because that's what legal is legal and available to us right now to be able to do this work. Um, and... I've also been involved in drug policy reform for over a decade. I um, have been a member of and and, uh, uh, employee of Students for Sensible Drug Policy for a a while. And so I worked for SSDP um, until just last May. Um, I left the organization, but I still continue to um, participate as an alum. And so yeah, I've been involved in drug policy reform in Illinois um, and well, the world <laughs> um, for over a decade now through that work. Um, I also was a graduate assistant at the Illinois Consortium on Drug Policy. So I did a little bit of um, uh, research and, and policy recommendation work um, there while I was in grad school. So that's sort of like how all of this fits into the, the clinical side of things. I call it like my balance because you know working in, in mental health, you're like working right in a very broken system and finding drug policy, finding harm reduction um, was a really sort of like validating and affirming um, experience for me because I actually recognized that I had a voice in like dismantling that oppressive uh, structure and actually working to to help people rather than like do more harm (laughs) by just existing in that system. Um, So that's how, yeah, that's kind of how the policy of it all came to be um, my clinical interest is working with people who use drugs. So like, that's where the drug stuff comes in. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a big drug nerd. My dissertation was on drug education um, and essentially what young people actually want out of drug education. Um, I don't think I had to tell y'all that our drug education has failed us. <laughs> and um, young people are actually really brilliant about what they actually need and want. Um, and that's kind of what my dissertation was was focused on. And that became uh, sort of the, the results of that, I, I should say, uh, ended up a, as a program at Students for Sensible Drug Policy called Just Say No. That's K-N-O-W as in knowledge. Um, and it's a uh, essentially a harm reduction um, drug education program, it's a peer education program. So our members that go through it are able to then like provide harm reduction education to their peers, um, folks on their campus and their communities, um, and also just like be better drug policy advocates because they have, they're like, have tons of knowledge about um, all these really interesting things like why people use drugs and harm reduction and why the war on drugs has failed. And um, yeah. 
that's awesome. me. <laughs> awesome. Cool. I love it. Yeah. Thanks. I was gonna, you know, I, I hesitated to, to, to make the joke, uh, but here I go. Um, you mentioned drugs a lot. So I was going to ask you, do you like drugs? Um, I think, I was... <laughs> yeah, drugs are amazing. I think drugs yeah. <laughs> are, are helpful tools. Uh, and I think, like I said, the war on drugs has failed us and made it so have incorrectly targeted the wrong thing, um, mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, I like to have fun on the show sometimes. So forgive me. Um, good. but, uh, yeah, no, that's a super cool, like resume. Like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. And it's super inspiring to hear like how you found your way. Um, like that you noticed you had, it was a way that you had an impact and in, in, yeah. in a way that's positive, like you say, not hurting people. Mm -hmm. That's that's super cool, and thank okay. you for for fighting the good fight with regard to that. Mm -hmm. So, um, cool. Well, uh, do you what do you do what do you do in your spare time? Like, do you just like <laughs> chill? Like, or are you just constantly researching drugs and all that stuff? I mean, there is a lot of that, but yeah, I I um enjoy music. I enjoy sure. art. <laughs> um, nice. So yeah, yeah, I get out. I get out. Yeah, no, I I ask because I find myself doing the same thing. I'm constantly reading up on policy. Probably not like the same as in depth as as you are. Like from like the scientific standpoint, I'm more like coming from a consumer standpoint, you know. But um, yeah, I'm reading it all the time. But I still have to stop and find time to like get outside and like yeah. you know live life. So. I, I'm always curious to ask like my guests that are knee deep in drug policy. Um, what else do you do? You know, so <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to make an effort to, to ask more people that like, what else do you also do other than drug? It's policy? A good question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an important so, question. Yeah. Gotta have a balance for sure. Absolutely. Well, Hey, it's uh, been a pleasure. I want to extend the open invitation. Like as this thing progresses, you know, feel free to come back on and um, thank you. I guess just a final word um, really quick for folks that like feel like they're up and open and want to perhaps file a witness slip. Um, if you go to entheoil.org, which we will have in the podcast description, and then you can go to, um, they probably have it somewhere else, but I know they have it on their Instagram page. Mm -hmm. Um, it actually walks you through, and I'm displaying it for folks that are watching right now. Um, it walks you through how to file a witness slip, like what you have to do. And so uh, that's one thing you can do. And again, as uh, Vilmarie mentioned, you can also reach out to your representative to mention what you like and what you don't like about the bill. And you can have your representative potentially co-sponsor everything that's going on. So Yeah, and that action alert is also on um, our socials as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So folks check out Entheo Illinois online. We'll have those links in the podcast description. Bill Murray, it's been a pleasure speaking with you tonight. Yeah. Thanks um, so much for having me. Thanks for your questions. Um, hope I answered them as, <laughs> in a way that was useful to y'all. Yeah. Very informative. Yeah. Very informative. Seriously. So we appreciate your time and uh, hope that both of you uh, have a great Tuesday evening. Likewise. All right.
Uh, folks that are listening or watching, I hope you found value in this episode of the podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. Take care.